Welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. Today we'll be hearing from Morag Gamble. This is a flashback from Our Future 2021. Morag Gamble will be speaking again this year on a new topic at Our Future 2022 in just seven days. So enjoy this talk. Morag is incredible. She's a pioneer in permaculture. She's a pioneer in applying humanitarian aid to permaculture, as is Rosemary Morrow, both of which are going to be speaking at Our Future 2022 in less than a week. So click the link below, sign up, join us, get excited. It's a free conference. Everyone's invited. It's all about unlocking our greatest potential, unlocking the world's greatest potential and having our best year. Learning about the most hopeful potential futures for us all and giving us the empowerment to take those paths and the information to incorporate them into our lives. So join us. And without any further ado, here's Mariah Gamble from last year's Our Future. Hi everyone, it's Mariah Gamble here. Thanks so much for joining me in this session. It's a real delight to be joining you all here at this summit. Uh, the topic I wanted to explore with you today is really looking at about how we can cultivate these regenerative futures by bringing along particularly young people and vulnerable communities. So I'm going to range across a whole lot of different topics throughout this talk, but that will, will be the focus. But before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which I meet with you today, the Gubba Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and, and to the First Nations people everywhere. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background about me. I live in an eco-village just north of Brisbane. I've been living here for about, oh gosh, almost 25 years. Uh, I run something called the Permaculture Education Institute. Um, also blog and do YouTube through our permaculture life. I run a permaculture education charity called the Ethos Foundation and also in this past year have been mentoring a global permaculture youth network uh, called the Perma Youth. So I wanted also to acknowledge Matt for all his incredible work in bringing this summit together and I had an, a wonderful conversation with Matt recently on my podcast, Sense Making in a Changing World, um, so thank you, Matt. Thank you for everything that you do and for all the enthusiasm and love that you bring into the permaculture world. Matt also joined us, uh, gosh, back in October now for the Global Perma Youth Festival. He and his son James were the special guests uh, with the youth. So every month, uh, you're very welcome to join these festivals. Uh, you can sign on to get the newsletters, to find out when they are at permayouth.org. You can see down the bottom there, there's a, 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 a URL there. So on these sessions every month, they're youth-led sessions that connect people from 30 different countries with guest speakers like Matt. Um, it, discussions, the young people share music and poetry, films, tours of their gardens, a whole range of different things and so we change it from being something that's appropriate for um, the US time across to something that's appropriate for uh, European time and always with Australian Asian time being appropriate because we're based here uh, so it's free and it's online and it has support from a whole range of different organizations uh, including permaculture magazine uh, the Abundant Earth Foundation, ReFarms, and of course, um, all the organizations that we, we represent too. And through these programs, people get to connect from around the world. 
one of the recent uh, events too, as well as the one with Matt, was with Costa Georgiadis, who is Australia's uh, favourite TV celebrity, and he's a gardener and a permaculturalist. And so he joined us. You can see him right on the the left-hand side with a big beard. Um, He runs the Australian uh, gardening show on on telly. And so he joined us and spoke with young people from refugee camps to um, friends in in the States and Europe, everywhere. So anyway, this is a fantastic movement and I really do encourage you to get involved. Right now, as we speak, there's um, Perma Youth America being uh, founded and also there's Perma Youth Clubs in refugee settlements. There's Perma Youth Clubs starting to pop up everywhere. And also um, part of these programs, we've had David Holmgren and other collaborators as well, like people like Charlie McGee and Brenna Quinlan, uh, illustrators, musicians. So David Holmgren was one of the founders of permaculture and he's been joining in the in the perma youth as well and and joining on the podcast and this is just fantastic i think this idea of connecting across the generations as well as cross cultures is really opening up fantastic conversations for us to imagine the possible futures for permaculture to embody all of the work that's been done over the last decades in permaculture and to bring it forward into this present generation to have an understanding and and a connection, a direct connection. So it's not just something that they read in books about permaculture or they watch a film about permaculture. It is actually a direct conversation with the people who are doing it, who came up with ideas, who've practiced it for decades and to have the opportunity to ask directly. So I'm absolutely loving these sessions and think, Um, The young people that are really driving this uh, are just fantastic. And I I feel absolutely honoured to be part of it every day. But another question that we ask is really, what is permaculture in a changing world, in this changing world that we're experiencing? Last year was was a doozy, really. And this year is looking also to be um, similarly challenging in many parts of the world. And what is it that permaculture can offer us in this in these crises? Well, from what I can see in all the different systems that I've explored uh, around the world and lots of different philosophical traditions and design traditions, I keep coming back to permaculture all the time because it helps to address the crises that we face, the multiple crises that we face holistically, locally in our own communities, really accessibly, like anyone can, can get in and do this. It's also done, you know, relatively quietly. It's something that just is happening everywhere. And sometimes we hear about it, but most of the times people are just getting on and doing it. And this is quite a radical approach. Uh, So it's all of this is helping us to regenerate our communities, regenerate local economies, regenerate local environments, and to regenerate our, our beautiful planet with a sense of warmth, care, and humanity too. So for, for all of these reasons and for so much more, I absolutely love permaculture as being a core of our thinking of how we can collectively be part of this project to regenerate our, our planet and to, to care for people. And, and at the core with the Earth Care People Care Fair Share, I think these, these are the, the ethics that need we need to take us forward in the world. 
So essentially I see the permaculture imperative for this future that we're wanting to unfold is to design and create the conditions for life, for all life, to thrive and regenerate. And the best way that I know how to do this is by teaching teachers who can teach teachers, who can teach teachers, who can then empower ambassadors and practitioners on the ground to get out and do this work. So, so my focus has been predominantly about helping to empower. And that's, that's really what, where I see the work that needs to be done and the work that I feel that I'm capable to do. And I came across this quote a little while ago from Greta Thunberg. Uh, she was saying, stop saying that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Which brings me to the other aspect of the work that we do, which is about working with vulnerable communities, um, particularly making sure that people in places like refugee settlements have access to permaculture too. And to myceliate permaculture as far and as wide as we possibly can and to, to open it up as something that is, as I said before, accessible and, and practical, localised and indeed something that people can grasp and use to address their basic and local needs wherever they are. The very are. beginnings of cultivating a, a permaculture future is beginning with permaculture literacy, permaliteracy I'm calling it here, which is really beginning as, as young as we possibly can helping to cultivate systems thinking, eco-literacy, an understanding of the permaculture ethics and a design literacy, but also a form of practivism, a positive practical activism of getting out and doing things and having the skills and the understanding and the tangible practical applications to be able to go out and do that. So permaliteracy, I think, is one of the core things that we need to be focusing on in order to not just wait until we, you know, we've gone through school, we go to university and then, right, now we start to learn about this stuff. Or, you know, when we retire, uh, you know, a lot of people over the years have come to me and said, oh, you know, when I retire, I'll get into permaculture. Now is the time that we need to get into permaculture. Actually, decades ago, and many of you who listen to this have, and thank you, uh, what I'm saying is that I think at this point in time, our key focus is really needing to be cultivating in younger generations, well, and everybody, but particularly starting from, from youth, building up this literacy so that as we move forward, we have the capacity to be able to think through what it is that we need, have the skills that we need to be able to regenerate the planet and have the heart to be able to do it too. And so that head, heart and hands approach through this permaculture literacy, I think is critical to be offering wherever we are to, who, to whomever we can at whatever level is appropriate. So there's no one size fits all with this. That if, when, we're, when I'm talking about teaching permaculture teachers, it doesn't necessarily mean for everyone to be going out and teaching a permaculture design certificate course. It's about opening up maybe your garden creating a community garden, offering it at your local library, offering it in your work, offering it wherever you are to whomever you can at whatever scale that is possible for you to do. And that's really part of what I was talking before too about this idea of um, empowering ambassadors, that we all feel that we have permission 
to go out and to speak about this. And it's not that we have to get to a certain point in in accreditation to be able to speak up about this. This is critical. It's so important. We all need, in whatever way we feel capable, to step up and speak up and make the change that we know that we need. And this can begin to even right back at at very young ages uh, in what I call permaplay. When my my kids were really young, uh, what we did was we set up a little permaculture play group. And and why, why I'm saying this too is I think whatever stage of life that you're in and whoever you have surrounding you that you're engaging with regularly, what is it that you can do together? So it's not necessarily a, an individual task. This, this is a collective task. So what can we be doing collectively that makes our lives better, our communities better, and restores the planet simultaneously? So when my kids were young, it was permaplay. Now that they're older, we're doing different things. Over the last 30 years, I've pretty much been engaged in a permaculture action research project. I live in an eco-village, a permaculture-designed eco-village, travelled to various permaculture programs around the world, uh, looking at ways that communities are applying permaculture in all their different permutations and combinations and their local context and addressing local needs so that that the way that I'm able to communicate permaculture and apply permaculture is so much more deepened and enriched by this understanding of seeing how it's it can be done. And I think my inspiration really for permaculture, my deep inspiration for permaculture came from being um, involved in a project in Ladakh, uh, the Local Futures Project. And there... Actually, underneath this apricot tree, sitting next to Amalia, I think is where I had the most um, like light bulb moment. You know, actually, this piece of bread that I'm holding there, I'm about 23 there, I think, and I was volunteering uh, for the International Society for Ecology and Culture, looking at how um, Western culture was impacting traditional cultures of Ladakh and supporting appropriate technology and organic food methods and and on, I'm helping to start up a something called a farm stay program there. Anyway, I'm there um, in the fields. We've just been harvesting grain from the fields by hand in this beautiful rhythmic way with an intergenerational um, group there out in the field singing songs as we're going. And then after we'd gra- um, gathered the, the grain, we would take it down to the yaks. And the yaks were in a circle and we were singing songs of thanks as they were going around separating the grain from the stalks. And the stalks were kept, of course, and they were fed later on to the to the cows or added back into the soil or put down their compost toilets. Yes, the compost toilets, brilliant compost toilets in these beautiful two-story mud brick homes. I mean, these people were said to be the poorest of the poor, but their quality of life was so high. Anyway, so... So after the grain was separated, it was, it was then threshed and there was a different song for that. It was a more of a whistling song and you were um, throwing the, with this fork, um, a bam, like a, a wooden fork, throwing the grain up into the air so the wind would catch and take the chaff into one pile and the grain would drop down. And of course the song that went with that was more of a whistle because otherwise you would have got a mouthful of chaff. So you could hear up and down the valley where people were at with their farming activities and people would share the yaks and people would share the tools and people would go to different people's farms and help them do different tasks. It was 
it wasn't an individual task. It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't even a competitive task because it was about if, if not the whole community fed, then uh, there was something wrong. Anyway, back to the story of the bread. So this piece of bread, then the, the grain was then taken down into a little uh, hut on the side of the Indus River and right up much higher up the valley from the meltwaters that were coming down, they took a channel off the side and ran along contour until it got to the house and then dropped it down. The force of this river behind it dropped down. It, it spun a massive great stone which ground the grain and went past the notched past a little wooden um, uh, carrier for the grain. And just one grain at a time, the flour was ground and beautiful flour, absolutely amazing, fluffy. And then we would take that back up into the house and mix it with yak yogurt, which would rise the bread and it would be cooked in this earth, earthen oven, um, beautifully decorated with all the cultural um, symbolism and with you know, amazing copper pots and anyway, the earthenware oven where these pot I'm just imagining being in there while I'm saying this to you now. Where this this where the bread was cooked, it was using yak dung and so the older ladies I I remember seeing them going around collecting, you know, yak dung off the side of the fields and then they would make little patties and put it up on the earthen walls and it would dry and they'd stack it up on their roof of their houses. And anyway, so this whole piece of bread was was imbued with love and connection and meaning and song and story and, and intergenerational play. And, and so sitting there eating this piece of bread, dipping it in vegetables that were just harvested from just down where I could see there, there was this, it, it changed me. It changed me profoundly because before that, my relationship with food had been largely around you know, you'd earn, you'd be educated, you'd, get, you'd earn enough money to go out and buy food. And all of a sudden, my relationship through this piece of bread to what it really meant to be connected to a food system, to a, to a culture and to a bioregion and to, to sort of interspecies relationships as well, it just blew it out. If there was this complete systems understanding and shift, a paradigm shift in how I felt related to the world and to my food system, to community. And it was at that point that I realized that I really needed to find a different way that I could actually work in the world. And that became um, my, my permaculture world. So I was talking about um, doing permaculture school camps and permaculture play before, but what I'm really focused on a lot now is this idea of, of planet schooling. And it's something I've seen um, really good friends of mine, Lucy Liggins, just released a book about this too. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant concept. So planet schooling is really about working with young people everywhere to cultivate their understanding and their literacy around what it means uh, for one planet living, essentially that. And so so my my work in the world with permaculture has a lot of focus on working with young people to support them to cultivate this knowledge. And instead of, uh, you know, homeschooling or unschooling, I think this concept of planet schooling is really beneficial. And how many different projects and programs and can we design and develop that support young people to really get deeply into this? 
So part of this planet schooling has been to take my children on journeys with me when I'm teaching internationally in places like Schumacher College or um, different um, places like the picture you just saw in, in Africa working in an orphanage. I think this idea of weaving together your family, your work, your recreation, your hobbies, all of these different things together in in this this whole wholeness has been um, permaculture has really helped me to weave all these things together and inspired deeply by my experience in the dark of of that intergenerational work and um, weaving in their cultural practices and and so I absolutely love this opportunity to be able to to explore life with my children and and do it in a way that is their education too that they're learning about you know science and literature and maths and history and all those different subjects through a lens that is about regeneration and I think this is absolutely essential so whether your child or your grandchildren go to school or not that opening up the possibilities for that to happen I think is really important and so is sharing the positive stories and ideas that are out there. There's people absolutely everywhere doing amazing things. And it's what I absolutely love about being part of this permaculture world is being surrounded by positive people. Now, this is Hugh Richards. He just turned 22 this week. He's based in Wales. And ever since he was 12, he's been doing um, organic gardening and YouTube videos. And he's now a permaculture ambassador writing for the permaculture magazine. He's He's got um, two, uh, he's onto his second or third book maybe even as a, he has a contract to do those. Um, he has his own organic um, fair trade clothing line. Um, he consults, he teaches and he's 22 and it's amazing. I think telling the story and sharing the story of what people like Hugh, for example, is doing is really uplifting, not just for young people, but for people everywhere to see what is possible that, you know, if you look at normal media outlets, you just see a certain way of, of thinking and being in the world, whereas there's all these other possibilities and regenerative possibilities that I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you can't ask the questions what you, you haven't seen the potential for. And so I think opening up those doors, you know, allowing people to peek in to see what are the other ways of doing things? And there's no one, there's no one script for this. We're all making it up as we're going along. But what I think is important is that there's this underlying imperative for regeneration. There's an underlying imperative for you know, acting from a, a basis of, of, the, of ethics, of core ethics of earth care, people care and fair share. And then whatever happens from that unfolds in a way that it's meant to in its local context. So I love doing the YouTube and the podcast and the blog and all these different um, mediums of creating uh, mediums for media that mean that um, different stories are able to be told. And I also think that, you know, not just doing things outside of the school system, but also within it too. So for the last 25 years, I've been running um, permaculture school camps. We have a great fortune within the Australian curriculum to have permaculture embedded within um, the year 11 and 12 uh, geography. And so uh, we've been having groups coming out from a number of different schools 
and weaving in practical work, theoretical work, um, experimenting, designing, building, um, also looking at uh, life work, you know, exploring what, what, what directions that they want to take, what they care about, what matters to them and, and how that can in, embody um, regenerative work too. And, and often I think young people at schools feel a little bit different if they start to talk about this. And so this, is a, this was a place where people could really um, kind of unpack that. And what I, as I've talked to, to these young people, you know, a decade after they've gone through this, they were telling me how impactful this camp was and this exposure to these other ways of thinking. They, they changed what they were focused on wanting to do at university, which then influenced the kind of work that they'd entered into. And it reminds me too that every interaction that we have is an important interaction. Every conversation that we have is an important conversation. Every way that we speak or act or get involved in projects, the way in which we do that matters because people notice, young people notice this and model their behavior upon that. And it's not just the abouting, it's not just what we're talking about. It's it's the way the whole system is is approached, which is why I love these immersive um, permaculture camps. And I also love bringing young people into into our into our uh, into our garden or into the, the eco village in a way um, that's kind of like coaching and mentoring. So in Australia too, we have something called work experience, where at year nine or ten, young people choose what they'd like to get some experience in to see whether it's what they'd like to go into as they're moving along. So whether it be one-on-one coaching or whether it be groups of of students together or whether it's adult groups in informal learning environments too. And I think this is so powerful because people come with information and then they share it. And, you know, someone's from one cultural background, someone's from another one, someone's grandparent talked about this, you know, and it's bringing together people in what we call learning communities. And this can, and having these on the commons where they're accessible, where you can come and see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, you know, really get involved in it, or just wander through um, on a, on your daily walk. You know, there's, there's layers of in, engagement. Uh, so community gardens and school gardens and city farms are brilliant ways to get people connected and to offer those portals, those doorways. Uh, so... A, a lot of the work that I do is engaged in helping to start up these places. So this is our North East Street City Farm in Brisbane. We started over 25 years ago. It's about four hectares of permaculture farm in the middle of the city. I've also been involved in setting up lots of uh, school gardens and various um, community farms um, around the world. I think the basis of community food growing on the commons is a key part of uh, transforming our education and the opportunity to regenerate our urban soils and to regenerate our thinking and regenerate our communities. And coming back to this idea of these learning communities uh, from a perma-youth perspective, the perma-youth is essentially a global community for young people to, to learn together and share their stories. And this is Jujita who is only seven, but she already has her own YouTube channel. 
and sharing her passion and love for going around and munching her way through her garden, talking about what plants are edible, what edible, you know, what are edible leaves, what what um, insects she finds, and just opening up that the sort of those that observation lens and being engaged directly with her landscape. And so this is central to regenerative thinking. And I think young people respond so much better when it's young people teaching them than it's if it's someone like me um, going in and trying to say the same thing. So much more powerful when it comes from young people. So the Perma Youth is essentially about helping to support young people, uh, well, opening up the doors to for young people to lead this and to create their own films, write their own music, teach their own classes, um, connect with the people that they want to, organize workshops, um, create local hubs and it it's it's an emerging group and it's absolutely wonderful and so you know Billy this is Billy and she tells us about how we can make a difference how we can with the skills you have you know this is a, a saying and she loves it because um, Billy was actually born with two um, chromosomal abnormalities and epilepsy and a number of other different um, challenges that she's faced in in her life so far um, and when Billy was younger, her mum taught her to help her with her busy hands to, to, to crochet. And so she just, I, I watch her as she crochets. I, I have no idea how she does it so beautifully, so accurately and so quickly. She creates beautiful blankets. Anyway, what Billy does is with these blankets, she donates them to then raise funds. And this particular one was, um, it has the frog in the middle. And she's so wildlife mad that she actually even once wrote to David Attenborough and he wrote back to her a handwritten letter, which she has framed up in her wall. So Billy Ballard is part of the Perma Youth Network and with her sister Eve, who's there um, next to her here, because together the Perma Youth worked by creating raffles, um, getting donations from the festivals, um, raffling off um, Billy's blanket, all different things that they worked on, um, stalls, and helped to raise close to $6,000. Um, it's actually, well, sorry, this year, last year, uh, for for the refugee Perma Youth Group. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about those refugee groups in a minute, but I think it's absolutely incredible. And you can see on Eve's face the the empowerment of being able to not just be learning about something, but be deeply engaged and having the capacity and the and the agency to make a difference a real difference and not just not just in a small way but in a really significant way and so um, this is when I was telling telling her how much they'd actually raised from from their raffle she, they were both so surprised I was saying oh, a couple hundred dollars it was thousands of dollars uh, so I'm so proud of the Perma Youth group what they're doing it's just incredible and they're working with, with refugee groups. And this is Sakina, who leads the Perma Youth Clubs in a Kukuma refugee camp. And, and she says permaculture is the knowledge we need for a future, for hope. And, you know, this is about regenerating humanity in places where there's little. You know, the, the amount of people who are um, becoming refugees is growing um, because of climate, because of, and then the rippling effects of, of that, um, because of political instability, which is often a result too of, of um, increasing 
conflict over access to resources and various things. But anyway, Sakina runs the Perma Youth Clubs in in Kakuma and she tells me stories about how there's so much depression and hopelessness in in youth in refugee camps that just don't see a future. Uh, Sakina herself has been there at this particular camp for, for 12 years. It's a really long time to be in a kind of a nowhere place. Kakuma actually means, you know, nowhere. And imagine how that impacts on our, our sense of, of being, our sense of self. You know, refugees, as much as anyone, have hopes and dreams, but they erode over time in places like this. So through Permuth, um, Sakina's then started working to train more teachers because every time she starts to train uh, some young people, more people come along and say, oh, I'd love to learn that. And older people coming along and saying, oh, I'd like to learn that too. And I'd like to help train some other young people. So it's this myceliating positivity and hope. And you can see in the smiles of these people, it's absolutely amazing. And so um, the young man in the middle, down squatting down on the floor that's Somali and he's now uh, teaching in another refugee camp not far from where they are and he also writes uh, music with with his band they call the ambassador crew the permaculture ambassadors and these young men are now making songs about permaculture to ripple out throughout their community as far and wide as they possibly can and there's refugee perma youth clubs happening in many different places now. Um, another refugee settlement, um, Ramwanja in Uganda, um, is leading the way too in in creating perma youth programs. And we're now supporting them through the Ethos Foundation for Bemariki, who's there in the striped shirt, to actually travel to other refugee settlements to help them to set up their perma youth programs and also to to sponsor people to come to his camp to see what he's doing. So um, it's, it's been so successful that the Office of Prime Minister um, a, approached Bemriki um, a couple of weeks ago and he was a bit nervous because he was called into this meeting and he, he thought that they might tell him he couldn't have his farm anymore on the edge of the settlement. And he said, we got in there and they... He said, well, why, why is this program just for refugees? Like, why can't it be for the settler community too? They're also struggling. They're suffering from poverty and, and hunger. And, you know, in these places, the, the COVID pandemic is, is uh, being eclipsed by a hunger pandemic because uh, particularly in the refugee settlements, um, rations have been cut by half. Food distribution networks have been... Um, been affected so much has been affected in different ways so anyway so we said sure sure i can i can teach the settler community too so not only is this the programs being run for the refugees they're now um rippling out from there into the into the local community which is just brilliant in the far west of kenya is a little village called kambiri and in this village is a women's self-help group. Actually, this self-help group connects women from a number of villages around that area. And we've been working with this group for quite some time now, um, looking at um, permaculture education. Uh, they 
some of them traveled to different villages to go and get some uh, education from a local teacher. Uh, we've supported um, the establishment of a chicken enterprise, chicken micro enterprise. And this, in this last year, part of our work too has been supporting them to, to buy their own community farm. So a lot of these women are widows. They, they really don't have access to much land or resources or funds uh, to be able to grow enough for themselves or their families, let alone um, have enough surplus. So together they formed this self-help group and they now have a community farm. And so thank you to everyone who has participated in, in sponsoring these women to, to get this farm. And now what we're seeing is they're starting to create um, micro-enterprises, education um, programs, programs for school kids. So there'll be those permaculture camps and permaculture literacy, um, micro-enterprise development emerging out of this farm. With And so, again, it's this sense that it's not just an individual thing, that when we're working together, the regenerative possibilities are so much more. And as Vandana Shiva says, permaculture is the way all agriculture should be, whether you be in a rural community, whether you're in, in Africa or India or Australia. This is the basis, this perennial polyculture regenerative approach is the basis of, of a sustainable and regenerative culture. And I think permaculture provides us with a, with a real security. And this is something that has become so evident in this past year that a thriving garden, a local thriving, abundant garden that's full of food and medicines and herbs and proteins and, and a calm space to be actually offers us a real sense of security so that we that we can be part of something that nourishes us, nourishes our family and gives us something that we can exchange with, with other people. The, the amount of places that have popped up with, you know, um, uh, exchanges at the front gate or uh, seed exchanges is just phenomenally grown, um, particularly in, in the area that I live in. And so a home garden can also be a learning centre, a place where we can create our own local businesses. Uh, whether whether we have the capacity to invite people into our homes or whether it's something we might be able to do <clears throat> through YouTube or online classes and blogs. There's so many people are looking for a new way, a new way of working, a new way of being more home-based, more locally-based. And this possibility of, of having your garden as your office, <laughs> your garden as your centre of work, has just started to explode. There's so many people who have just recently signed up to the Permaculture Educators Program who have highlighted as the, one of their core goals is wanting to set up their own place as a, as a learning centre for educating local children, local community, and running workshops that can help to either supplement their income or actually be a core part of it. So from a regenerative perspective, I love to invite people to reimagine what a kitchen garden can look like, how we can integrate more layers and more diversity and, and more robustness so that we have in it the possibilities for creating an abundance of food, not just enough food, but an abundance that it's self-seeding. There's enough to hand out to neighbours. There's enough to take cuttings and spread them around to other gardens. I think from this one garden in the last couple of years, I've handed out well over 10,000 cuttings and, and that's just helping me tidy up the garden. So every time I go and do a workshop, I'm able to take 
bundle loads of cuttings to hand to people. And so that helps more new gardens to get set up. So in whatever you're doing, I really encourage you to think how you can amplify your work, how you can take what you're doing and then help other people to do that too as an enabling thing. And you may or you may not charge for that. It may be part of a community service work. It may be part of the promoting what you do. It may just be part because you just want to do it and you give it away anyway. So I invite you to put on your possibility glasses. You know, what can you see in and around you? What are the possibilities that you can create where you are with what you have? You know, just looking at this little garden here, I can see marigolds that can be transformed into into creams or dried teas. There's um, abundant seeds that can be saved and shared and, and could be uh, sold as well. There's uh, tulsi, which can be dried as a, as a medicinal herb or as teas. Uh, there's, you know, and in between all of this too, there's compost and there's worm farms. You could sell little worms. There's possibilities from a very small scale to then actually opening this up as, a, as an educational space and running workshops. There could be, you know, looking at um, solar systems, water systems, energy systems, the possibilities of creating ethical, community-based, home-based livelihoods from a permaculture perspective are enormous, you know, from mushroom growing in your basement to um, consulting on other people's design projects to writing, to illustrating, uh, to being a speaker at events, you know, the once you start to sit down and map out the possibilities of the things that you can do that you can maybe layer permaculture onto what you already do um, or integrate what you do into permaculture i just see so so many possibilities for work and it's really the kind of work that we really do need in the world right now so please put on your possibilities glasses and i'd love to hear from you what are the what are those ideas that you have and so essentially, permaculture to me is, is about cultivating one planet living. We have one beautiful planet, but currently, you know, if everyone lived like a typical Australian or American, we would need four or five planets to meet our needs and absorb our waste. And we know that that's just absolutely impossible to continue and to sustain. So a regenerative way of life, a regenerative way of working as well, not just not separating our our life over here, this is how we sort of do our daily, you know, home-based things, and this is our work life. Like bringing those together and together having a one-planet way of living uh, is, is, I think, the challenge of our time. And the thing that we're inviting you through this uh, amazing summit that Matt's organised to step up and speak up about. And I really thank you all for being here as part of this seminar. And I encourage you too to to think about whether you'd like to become a permaculture teacher or practitioner. You know, I really do believe that permaculture teachers can make an enormous difference. And however old you are, um, we have permaculture teachers who are, who are 11, 12, um, and well and truly into their 80s. So uh, part of what we offer is a permaculture educators program online, and it in incorporates design and teacher certificates and business modules I've got the link there. You can find out more about that or just get in touch if you'd like to find out more information too. Uh, also have other sorts of online education programs uh, as well as the teacher and um, design certificates. We have 
um, uh, permaculture gardening course. You can see all the modules there on this sign. Um, an unplugged program which really dives into um, looking at how to imagine and set up a permaculture-based business. And it's a, a seven-week face-to-face course where we meet and we have a, commu- a learning community, a global learning community. And coming up very soon is our, a new membership program, which is, again, creating this learning community. It's getting harder for us to have these face-to-face learning communities at our community gardens and our centres like that. So what, instead, what we're trying to do is create places and possibilities and meeting spaces where these types of conversations can continue. And also, I'd like to encourage you too, if you feel to donate to projects like the permaculture in refugee settlements, the perma youth in refugee settlements, that we run a permaculture charity, permaculture education charity, which is the ethosfoundation.org.au. Every cent that we receive goes directly to those projects. Nothing gets taken out. Um, any of the admin costs I cover myself. And uh, so basically for about $50, we can uh, get the resources needed to have a new Perma Youth member join a club, um, the tools, the seeds, the resources, and a teacher to teach the program. Um, in order to train new teachers, uh, that's about 150 So that kind of gives you a guide on, on donations. So whether you'd like to support one youth or a teacher or a number of them, or if it's just a part, that's also great. So if you look at ethosfoundation.org.au, you'll find out how to donate there. There's a little button. I'm in the, currently in the process of updating that with the 2020 projects and then what we're working on next year. But you'll definitely find the donation button there and, and my guarantee that everything goes directly to these communities. Uh, also, if you'd like to find out more about the blogs or the films or all the different material that I I create, it gets compiled on Our Permaculture Life, which is which is my blog. So you'll see there the videos and the various packs and the podcast is, is linked in there too. So ourpermaculturelife.com is kind of like a, a bit of a hub for all my work. Um, and if you'd like to find out the film, so there's well over 150 films here now um, on Maura Gamble, Our Permaculture Life, and you'll find yeah practical ones, interviews, tours of gardens, tours of my garden, um, no, my no-dig garden method, all different sorts of films are available there. And I know that a number of people use these um, if they're teaching classes or if they're teaching in a school. Uh, so um, I welcome you to, to explore that YouTube channel as well. And you might not have seen them either, but I run monthly masterclasses on the, the last Monday of every month. And these are some of the, the latest ones. So it's looking at um, how we can, what, what can we learn from eco villages that we can transform, translate into our local neighborhoods now. Uh, what, what's going on with the uh, kitchen garden revolution that's taking place? Uh, how can we weave in permaculture with the global sustainability goals? So the, the SDGs, what is, what is the relationship there with permaculture? Um, and also you, my uh, podcast. So there's now almost 30 episodes up where you can listen to conversations with people who are really diving deeply into how they're integrating permaculture into their life or their work, um, whether they call it that or not, and seeing how we can help to transform our local communities, our local professions, 
and the, the way that we think and the way that we educate and the way that we live um, by making sense of what's going on in the world and finding really positive and practical solutions. So thank you so much for being here as part of this session today. I, it's, it's just a delight to be part of these kind of programs. I hope you have so much inspiration out of all the different sessions that are part of this program and I really encourage you to to get in touch. I love hearing from from people having questions and and getting involved in conversations that matter about the future of our planet, the future of life, and um, and the well being of communities and and um, and Earth. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, take care and stay safe, everyone. Bye. <music>